Welcome to the Develop Your Dream podcast, where you can begin your journey to achieving your full potential. Hey everyone, welcome to episode three of Develop Your Dream season two. If you are a return listener, you know Develop Your Dream is a podcast that focuses on self-development. Wow, it really has been a while. (laughs) Self-development from a Latinx and minority perspective. I had a completely insane October, so I definitely fell off the map a little bit with podcasts. I'm sorry about that, but I am back. And if you'll notice, I dropped two episodes instead of one today. My treat. Today's episode features a guest, Evian Whitney, who is a sex educator and focuses on sensuality as part of our identity. So probably not a conversation you've heard about often, but I do believe that it takes a certain amount of personal growth to become comfortable with this kind of conversation. It's definitely no small task to dig into a portion of your identity that you never have thought about even exploring, but I think it is an important conversation. So I want to hear from you guys. Um, Let me know what you think about this one. Shoot me a DM at develop your dream podcast on Instagram. So without further ado, here is the interview with Evian Whitney. Thank you so much for making the time to uh, come on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to have a conversation with you today. Awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, briefly, I found your podcast first. I want to say this was about a year and a half ago, and I just feel like you just opened my mind to, like, a whole new world that I just hadn't tapped into yet. So um, this podcast focuses a lot about um, self-development for, it started as a um, Hispanic perspective because mm-hmm. I myself am Hispanic, but I was like, I, I feel like a lot of these conversations are relevant to many people of color. So um, mm. this, like what discovering you and your podcast and all your amazing resources, I'm like, that is an aspect of self-development that I have not gotten to yet. So just wanted to share a little background about how I found you. Cool. Thank you. And thanks for, for listening to my podcast. I appreciate it. <laughs> course yeah could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you have going on these days yeah my name is Evian Whitney I'm a sexuality doula and a sex educator I'm based out of Los Angeles also known as Tumba and Chumash land one exciting thing that's happening right now is that I have a book coming out very soon so I'm in a really exciting time of getting this book out into the world, introducing this book to people and just talking about it because it's, it's about sensuality, which is a big passion of mine. It's something that I started uh, my work off doing. So I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about the book and excited about this new direction that I'm going in with it. That's really awesome. I can't wait till it comes out. I'm wondering how you got started on this journey. Like, was it just something that you kind of stumbled into or what was that like? Yeah, it, it, it was something that I kind of stumbled into, to be honest. I um, have always been a writer. I've been writing since I was seven. I've kept diaries and was writing short stories then. And mm-hmm. um, I pretty much started this writing career um, on the internet. I I had a 
fashion blog for a little bit and that was fun. And sometimes I would write about not just fashion, but I would also write about, you know, my relationship. I was newly married and I was talking about our relationship and sex was something that came up quite a bit when, when I was um, in this period of writing about it. And um, I noticed that when I was writing on my fashion blog about sex and sexuality, there was just this influx of comments and conversation that was happening around um, folks feeling a resonance with my own story. You know, um, at the time I was dealing with a lot of sexual shame, a lot of sexual confusion and sex itself was really difficult for me. So I was talking about this in this very um, honest and vulnerable way, not really thinking that anybody else would feel a resonance to my story at all. But um, I would write these articles or these essays and folks would just tell me like, wow, this is, this is me. I've never heard someone speak about this the way that you do. Uh, and so that was kind of like my first inkling into to realizing like, huh, there might be something here to explore, not just from um, you know, a career perspective, but more so like this is something that is a, a through line, a thread that folks are are feeling resonance with. And then um, I continue to follow that thread. I continue to explore my sexuality and um, healing my sexuality and healing the relationship with my body. Again, in a very public way, I created a new blog uh, called Sex Love Liberation at the time that was just about my journey to sexual healing and sexual liberation. And in that process of, um, of writing about it and diving deep into my own work, folks kept asking me like, oh, I want to, I want to like buy a book, like write a book so I can buy it or teach a workshop so I can join or coach me because I really need the help. And um, I was pretty hesitant to, to get into this line of work because I always thought that uh, folks who do this sort of thing are like experts at the top of their field. And at the time I was like, I'm still figuring myself out, you know, um, right. but but folks are pretty persistent. And uh, after a while I was thinking like, huh, maybe this is, maybe this is something that I can, I can get into myself. And so I started teaching workshops and um, almost 11 years later, here I am. Um, and my work has expanded and um, formed in some really beautiful, beautiful ways and directions. Wow. That's really amazing. Yeah. I love, um, I think your podcast used to be called the sexually liberated woman. That's um, right. That's right. And that's something that, you know, growing up as a Latina woman, I feel like when we, you know, hit puberty, you know, starter periods and things like that, it's more so talked about like in a shameful way. So it's like, oh no, like this is happening to your body now. Like take care of it. Don't ever like let anybody see your tampons or pads, you know, like now your, your boobs are coming in, like make sure you wear a bra and like, don't wear tight pants. So I feel like we've never been taught to celebrate our sensuality and sexuality for ourselves. It's always just kind of been shameful in how it would relate to other people. Yeah, yeah. I, I had that, that same experience, experience as well. I identify as non-binary um, and that was actually one of the reasons why I decided to change 
the name of uh, my podcast because um, right. it didn't include me. <laughs> um, but but with that said, I I you know I was I was raised girl, I was raised woman, and so I understand that struggle. And I I've had my own upbringing of of shame around my body, uh, around my sexuality, and also like this very dis- disconnecting, um, confusing you know, you're not supposed to have sex, but everybody is having sex because sex sells. And so like, I I also grew up with a lot of just confusion around my sexuality. You know, I had my church telling me that I needed to abstain, that abstinence was the best way to, um, to live and the best way to, um, make God and your parents happy. And at the same time, you know, my, my friends were, having sex and talking about how amazing and fabulous it was. So it was really, it was really confusing. And I think so many years of being in that confused state where it's like, you should have it. You can't have it. You should want it. You're not allowed to want it really did a number on me in my adult life. Um, And that was actually one of the reasons why I started writing about my sexuality and my sexual relationship, because I realized that after so many years of all of these confusing, shameful, negative messages around sex and sexuality and my own body, uh, even though I didn't subscribe to them anymore and I I wasn't really believing in them, they were still affecting and making an impact on the way that I was showing up to my relationship and the ways that I was thinking about myself sexually. So yeah, it, it was from a lot of a lot of discord with sex and sexuality that I I came into this work. Yeah. And it's kind of like the, you know, your sexuality is never really your own. So can you tell us maybe like what you would define the difference between sensuality and sexuality? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been thinking a lot about sensuality lately. I mean, it's always been a thread in the work that I do. Uh, but lately I've been thinking a lot about sensuality. My, my book is about sensuality. It's called sensual self, uh, which is also the the title of my podcast now. Yeah. For me, I I've been really curious about sensuality because again, there's a lot of confusing messages about what sensuality is and what sexuality is. And, uh, when I grew up or I, I grew up with this understanding that sensuality was sex or, uh, sexuality was sensuality, which I am realizing in, in my work that that's not actually true, that sensuality and sexuality stand on their own, that they're not one and the same, even though people often use them interchangeably. And so the way that I, I have started to see sensuality and the way that I talk about sensuality in my work is that sensuality is an internal experience. Um, It's something that we feel within our own bodies. It's something that we experience through our senses, our emotions, the sensations that we feel in our bodies, which is different to, I think, what we grow up thinking. This is like kind of an aside. I'll like come back to this thought. But um, yesterday I was um, looking at um, some photos. I was like doing something on my website and I was just paging through some like stock photos of the word sensual. And it was so interesting that all the photos for this particular word, sensual or sensuality, were of women sucking a lollipop, showing curves of their cleavage, wearing thong underwear and stuff like that. So like there's a very specific image and understanding of what sensuality is. And and 
from what I can see, sensuality in our popular culture is, is about like, for me, it feels very much about the male gaze, you know, like appeasing somebody else's desires, somebody else's senses, sort of performing sexiness or desire or pleasure so that someone else can consume that and um, be inspired by that for their own, you know, sexual imaginations, which as I'm saying all of this, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that there's anything wrong with having your sensuality be uh, something that you share with other people. Uh, and, and that gives other people joy and delight and arousal. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I do right. think that there's just there, there's an aspect of sensuality that a lot of us aren't tapping into because we've seen it through this lens only. And so the way that I have been teaching it, the way that I've been practicing it is that sensuality starts with us first. It's a relationship that we create and nurture with ourselves, with the pleasure that we experience with our bodies. It truly is about being of the senses, whereas sexuality is about sex. It's about the the act of sex, the physicality of sex. It's about your sexual identity, the the type of sex that you want to have, the type of people that you want to have that sex with. And those things can overlap. You know, I think the reason why we have amazing sex is because sensuality is involved in that. I, I think that it's it would be pretty impossible to not have good sex or to have good sex and not have sensuality involved. Uh, But they're separate, you know? And I I think that our sexual liberation, our sexual healing and just creating a connection with ourselves again, starts with uh, sensuality first, or at least that's, that's how I, that's how I like to tap into it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Would you say that that's just like another way of, working on becoming your most authentic self or, you know, embracing yourself as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, Your sensuality is the essence of you. It it is who you are uh, when no one is looking, you know, it's not about performance. It's not about trying to titillate somebody else's desires, unless that's your intention. Right. But I think first and foremost, it's, it's about the relationship that you have with yourself And so many of us are disconnected from our bodies. So many of us are trying to have the best mind-blowing orgasms of our lives without being fully inhabited in our bodies every single day, you know, just on the regular. And so what sensuality has done for me in the way that I have been practicing it in my personal life is connecting me to my body and knowing like, what does my body feel like when it is in in a place of safety? Um, and identifying that and feeling familiar with that. And then, you know, what is, what does my body feel like when I'm in the vicinity of feeling good and connecting with that and, and creating within that and all that information that is gleaned through that relationship that I have with my sensual self, it can absolutely translate into and enhance the sex that I have, uh, the sexual relationships that I have, because there's just so much information to be found within that. And yeah, we often we often forget that you know we have sex with our bodies. <laughs> I think a lot of times we think that maybe sex is something that is done with our imaginations and and things like that, but we have it with our bodies, and so it makes sense that we would start there when it comes to to beginning to heal and liberate ourselves. I love that. Yeah, so it sounds like you had a you know religious upbringing. Um, purity culture was an aspect. So, like, what would you say to someone who is just kind of facing the fact that growing up religious, a lot of times sexuality and sensuality is considered a sin. So it's just like 
embracing that or like exploring your sensuality or sexuality is just hardwired in your mind as like, oh my God, we just don't touch that. We don't do anything with it. Just avoid it. It is sinful. So what do you say to people struggling with that? Yeah. I mean, first I say, I feel for you. Literally, you know, I, I grew up in purity culture. I grew up signing my first purity contract at like eight. So I, I understand that feeling and I understand the confusion of that, you know, of like you've been taught this one thing for most of your life, um, maybe, and maybe not even in religion, maybe it's, it's through osmosis of the, the sex negative culture that we live in and how like, okay, you, you know, that that's not good for you, or, you know, that that's not accurate or even the way that you want to see sex and sexuality, but still those messages are, are in there. And so I just want first and foremost to just like invite for us to give ourselves compassion and lots of grace for, for that, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways we were sort of brainwashed and it's no small thing to rewrite these narratives and scripts that we were given. Um, it's, it's a really big thing. And so I think that in that process, we should give ourselves as much space and grace and um, compassion as possible because yeah, there, that, that's a lot, you know, um, and, and the shame that we feel from that is, is uh, creates rippling effects. And then from there, you know, I think one thing that really helped me when I really began to do this work of sexual liberation and coming back into my body and, redefining what sensuality meant to me and really owning it and claiming it as mine, as opposed to owning it for my husband or like owning it because, you know, it's, it's going to be pleasing to somebody else is, you know, asking these two questions. And so I offer them to, to folks who are listening, which is um, one, who do I want to be? as a sexual being? Who do I want to be as a sensual being? And within that question, there's multiple questions, you know, like what kind of sex do I want to have? How do I want to feel when I'm talking about sex or when I'm having sex? What sort of beliefs or affirmations do I want to say about my sexual self? What kind of relationship do I want to have with my body? What kind of relationship do I want to have with pleasure and orgasm? Like just really diving deep and dreaming big about who you want to be, not what culture has told you you should be, not what your religion has told you you should be, really seeing this exercise as a way to sort of like a like vision board, um, even if you don't think that it's possible, but just really allowing yourself to dream and, and get spacious around what else is out there, you know, what it, what it might look like for you to, to be the sensual being, the sexual being without these narratives of shame or without these narratives of sin or uh, stigma. So that's the first question. And then the second question is, what do I think is getting in the way of me being that person right now or me being that person in five months or whatever? I mean, you can really tailor these questions to suit your unique identity and experience. But with that second question, what we're getting curious about is what is what is blocking you? Like what narratives are keeping you stuck in this cycle of sex is bad or my sexuality doesn't belong to me or I shouldn't be doing this because it's a sin. Like really writing it all down and sort of like purging on paper all of the things, the shoulds, the should nots that are keeping you from 
accessing your sexuality, from creating a connection with your body. I have a feeling that when you begin to parse through this question, shame is going to come up, fear is going to come up, maybe even reckoning with your sexual trauma will come up. That's something that has been your experience. And the key with this, with answering the second question is not to make any judgments on yourself, to not flagellate yourself and and say like, oh, why do I have these issues? Or this is so frustrating. I, I shouldn't be dealing with this, but just to create some curiosity about like, okay, if there were roadblocks, if there were mindsets that are getting in the way, if there were lessons that I was taught that are keeping me from accessing the full spectrum of who I am as a sexual, sensual being, what would they be? I'm just writing it down. I'm doing the best that you can to not judge yourself for them. And what I love about these two questions is that you've got the one, which is so beautiful. It allows you to dream and create, you know, sort of create these new narratives and these new stories uh, that you want to be in. Um, and it really just shows your potential, you know, your potential for, for this freedom and for this healing and liberation. And then that second question, the answers within it is sort of like a diagnosis. Like you kind of know, okay, these are the things that I need to heal about myself. These are the things that I need to talk about in therapy. Um, these are the books that I need to read. Um, it, it really just gives you sort of the lay of the land in terms of where to start next on your, your healing and liberation journey. So I would start there. That's super helpful because I agree with you. This is like super, super deep next level work. And like you said, like you could be dealing with a number of things. So I think those two Mm -hmm. questions will be super helpful. And even like, you know, meditating on them, journaling about them can really just help you work on that self-identity and just kind of taking back who you are from, you know, societal influences or any, any number of things that, you know, have resulted in the sex negative culture. Can you tell us a little bit more about um, your book, what it's all about and what kinds of people should pick it up? Yeah. So as I said before, my book is called Sensual Self Prompts and Practices for Getting in Touch with Your Body. Uh, It is a guided journal. So um, when I was in the process of writing this book, I didn't want for folks to read about sensuality. I wanted them to embody it. I wanted them to practice with their own bodies sensuality and to explore it on their own terms with their bodies, with physicality. And so it is a, a journal that folks will be able to write in chronicle their own journeys, very similar to how I did in the very beginning of mine. And um, there were also some exercises as well to help you feel into your body, help you feel into pleasure, help you really like kind of get the landscape of both your inner body and like your, your external body, you know, like your inner body, your, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, the sensations in your body and the external, like what you see with your own eyes, like how you feel about the state of your body, the way that it looks, the way that you adorn yourself. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this book because I think that sensuality is such an important piece to every aspect of who we are. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about sex because I'm a sexuality tool and a sex educator is what I do, but I, I truly believe that sensuality is the piece to having the best life that you can have, to having a life of impact, a life that makes you feel good, 
a life that is going to inspire other people to do the same. And so I start with sensuality as a foundation because it really, for me, is a foundation to everything else. If you are in your sensual self and you know yourself and you know what gives you pleasure and you know how to regulate your emotions or your nervous system, if you're spiraling, it's going to directly affect the work that you do, the relationships that you're in. We're going to feel calmer, happier, um, and more anchored and rooted into the truth of who you are. Uh, and this book is for everyone, you know? I mean, I my work has primarily been for folks who identify as woman, um, non-binary, femme-adjacent folks. But honestly, I, I think that everybody needs to explore their sensuality, um, men especially. <laughs> I think I, I, I would actually say mm-hmm. that men need to explore their sensuality probably a lot more than women do. I think women are more tapped into their sensuality uh, than men are because I think being soft and sensual uh, for whatever reason seems to be the antithesis to being masculine and Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I wrote this book for, for everyone who has a body and for everyone who can feel within their bodies and for folks who are curious about what it looks like to be more in union with their bodies so that they can access pleasure and then you can access, um, a feeling of just like feeling good in who they are. I love that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you do a lot of um, coaching and you've worked with a lot of different individuals. So what would you say to someone who is maybe resistant to exploring this or, you know, maybe just afraid to like explore this aspect of themselves just because of um, the taboo that, you know, has been around it always? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. I I get that a lot. Um, I I think there are a lot of folks out there who have a hesitation to dive into this work because of those scripts that they were given at such an early age about sex and sexuality and their sexuality and what it should look like. Um, You know, I'm, I'm not in the business of forcing people to do something that they don't want to do. And, you know, (laughs) I think, I think it's, it's, in our culture to be like, well, just do it. Like just crush it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, (laughs) let's, let's like pay attention to what's happening in the body. You know, like when you're thinking about your sexual self or or diving into healing yourself from a sexual perspective or a sensual perspective, what comes up in your body? You know, what do you feel in your belly? What's happening in your breath? And these are just questions that I'm asking for folks to just be curious about and to not have any sort of answers to, or just more, more so just to like tune into the body. What does the body say? Just to, just to honor that. Yeah. Um, And then doing so and allowing space for that is, you know, the ultimate sort of self-love, I think just mm -hmm. allowing yourself to be and to explore, you know, who it is you are at those difficult depths that you haven't touched before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that when you slow it down like that and rather than like rushing to find an answer and you're just like, huh, let's check what's going on in my body where there's a sensation, there's a story, you know, and I'm willing to bet that if folks are feeling a little hesitant or resistant to doing deep dives into their sexuality, into healing that aspect of themselves, I'm sure there is a story of shame 
or there's a story of violation or trauma, or there's a story of fear, or there's a story of abstinence. And um, I think, I think for that, you know, I would just ask like, what are you resisting? What exactly are you resisting? And again, just to ask a question, you know, I'm, I'm all about being curious. I'm, I'm not about in, in my work. I really just want to give folks questions that they can ask themselves to dive deeper into who they are, as opposed to being like, you should do this. I'm going to tell you what to do. Like I wholeheartedly believe that every person is the expert of their own experience and that every person is the expert of who they are as sexual beings. And so I often like to defer to them and be like, okay, so you, you're resistant to it. What are you resisting? What do you think would happen if you, if you dove into this work? And what about that scares you? Is there an aspect that you might lose part of yourself? Is there an aspect that you might lose part of your, your family, your loved ones? Like just really diving into that. And then just, you know, starting small. I, I think one thing that I, I like to talk about sometimes is that, you know, we're talking about really big concepts here, like healing your sexuality. That's no small order, you know? And I, I think sometimes folks resistance to it is just because of how gargantuan of a task that feels like, as well as just, you know, how many years and the layers of caked on shame that have been put upon it. So I just like to say, start small, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to heal yourself in one fell swoop. Matter of fact, you know, you are going to be on a sexual liberation and healing journey for the rest of your life. It's that's never, ever going to change. So what small step do you feel comfortable doing right now that is in service of that healing? Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's listening to a podcast episode about sexual healing. Maybe it's just doing some journaling about like, the, the messages or the, the lessons that you were taught about your sexuality. I think starting small is, it's underappreciated for sure. Definitely. Yeah, this has been really, really awesome. Already like learned so much, got so much helpful information from you. So one of the last questions that I ask every guest that comes on the podcast is, what does self-development mean to you? That's a good question. I don't think I've been asked that question before. So thank you for asking that. <laughs> self-development means to me, self-actualization. It means self-realization. Um, it means like really fine-tuning who I am outside of narratives and shame and um, oppression. Yeah, that's what, that's what self-development means to me. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for that. And um, yeah. So tell us where we can find your book, where we can find you online and work with you. Yeah. So uh, many places you can find me on the internet. Uh, I am at my website at beyondweekly.com. You can click around there, see photos of me and also connect with me on my podcast. My podcast is called Sensual Self. Um, there's lots of episodes. I just released episode 56. We're talking about asexuality today. I'm really excited about that one. Um, you can find Sensual Self, my podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And then in terms of my book, also called Sensual Self, you can uh, find that on my website as well. It's available for pre-order right now. It's not um, due to be released until December 7th, but you can pre-order it um, at my website at beyondwhitney.com slash sensual self, or you can just 
find it on Amazon. <laughs> you can pre-order it there as well. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for your time. Okay. Wasn't that a super interesting conversation? I feel like this is something that I have been thinking about a lot in recent years, but Evian just does such a beautiful job of, you know, putting words to those feelings and those thoughts. So this is why I enjoy following their podcasts and I'm really looking forward to their guided journal, Sensual Self, as well. I love journaling, so this will be something that will be probably challenging, as journaling can be, especially in this topic, but something that I look forward to as a self-development junkie. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and click the share button. Do it now because you're going to forget later. And share this with someone who you think needs to hear this conversation. Maybe challenge some perspectives. And the more we have these types of conversations, the less taboo it'll become. And we can be more authentic and comfortable with who we are as individuals. Well, that is all for now. I look forward to chatting with you guys soon. Have a great day. Welcome to the Develop Your Dream podcast, where you can begin your journey to achieving your full potential. Hey everyone, welcome to episode five of season two of the Develop Your Dream podcast, where we discuss self-development topics from a minority and Latinx perspective. Uh, thanks again for joining. Today's guest is Beverly Navalga. She is a social media marketing public relations extraordinaire that I've had the pleasure of being friends with for many, many years. And we're talking about something that I am pretty passionate about, which is remote work and how that can impact not only your life, but the environment and other important things like that. So I'm excited for you guys to tune into this conversation. If you haven't already, hop over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to hit me with a review. Very much appreciate it. And it definitely helps get the podcast out to other listeners who can join us on our collective self-development journey. A quick note about solo episodes. I know I have not uploaded many yet this season, but they are coming. I have a lot of news to share with you. And I just needed some more time to kind of like dig into it, digest it, process some of the changes that are happening before I can turn around and give you a coherent version of the changes. So um, I'm excited to hit you guys with a couple solo episodes. And as always, I look forward to hearing what you guys think and what you want to see covered on the podcast this season. So shoot me a note. You know I am at Develop Your Dream Podcast on Instagram and at Dev Your Dream on Twitter. So without further ado, how about we jump into this episode? 
Hey, Beverly. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. You and I have been friends for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we both share an affinity for remote work. And you have done so more on a global scale (laughs) where I'm just like, I don't want to drive to the office. (laughs) So we figured we would just get together for a conversation on working remote and how that impacts your overall lifestyle, wellness, etc. I love that. Yeah. So how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh my, I always hate this question. (laughs) (laughs) Grew up in the East Coast, New York, went to school up north in Boston then returned back to New Jersey. I was like around 9-11, then moved to California. Absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Fell into film and TV production in LA, and then finally settled in working in San Francisco for tech companies. Mm-hmm. That's where you and I, you know, from different coasts, yep. worked on an, at an agency together. And I've been like trying to figure out what I'm good at ever since. And mm-hmm. I feel like communications and marketing really yeah. fits my um, my personality and and remote work found me. Yeah. And I've fallen in love with it and the lifestyle it affords us. Mm-hmm. And it's been going on ever since then. Awesome. So you said how what remote work found you. So like how did that happen? Uh. Actually, remote work found me unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about eight years ago. I just quit that agency job. And I had the foresight back then mm-hmm. to know that I needed a break, mental break, mm-hmm. from like running and leading these like big PR social media programs. You know how it is. It's right. like a 24-7 job. Mm-hmm. So I packed my bags. I went to Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And two months into my travels, I get an email from like a former colleague. She's like, Bev, I know you just quit your job, but I have this perfect contract uh, role for you. Are you interested? And I'm like in the middle mm-hmm. of Hong Kong at a bar. But Whitney, mm-hmm. I could not have sobered up any faster at Did that you? moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there, it's like, all right, how am I going to respond to this, right? I'm 13 hours ahead. And a completely different continent at that point. Mm-hmm. But I s- excused myself. I went outside and I'm like, all right, what, how am I going to do this? <laughs> but I always go back to um, this one thing that I always uh, think about, like aim small and do it simply. Mm-hmm. All right, let me just put a proposal together. There's mm-hmm. always free things on Google Docs that right. you can type up. And yeah, you know and now like, Canva, oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Yeah. You can do anything so easy. with these online tools. And and the great thing about proposals is you don't have to put all the nitty-gritty details. Yeah. Just enough to like whet their appetite. Right. Shipped it off. And it worked out really well. Hmm. Like back then, like Slack wasn't ubiquitous yet. Right. You had like the um base kind of, camps and stuff like that, like project management tools. Correct. But you had the um, benefit of delayed communications with email, mm, yes, yes, right? Yes, I see you didn't you need to be like instantaneously replying back. Right. Yeah. So I was able to do a lot of the work from Asia, mm-hmm. like my family's condo, go to coffee shops and like hotel lobbies back then, you know, co-working spaces right. really weren't that big yet. Internet cafes. Amen. Oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my God. You got to pay per hour or something For like sure. That. I was like, oh, I'm broke now. <laughs> 
No, but, but not with your new contract. <laughs> exactly. But you know, like a few months in, I was missing my partner then, yeah. and my return ticket was up. So mm. that gave me a chance to like go back to San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, meet with a team, mm-hmm. um, and work from the office like once a week at my own time. Yeah. And the great thing about the 1099 mm-hmm. um, classification is an employer cannot compel you or tell you how to do your job. Mm-hmm. So long as you deliver on your proposal mm-hmm. on time and on budget, you can do it from wherever and whenever. Right. They hired you for your your expertise. Right. And then that's all laid out in black and white in a contract usually as well. Absolutely. So that was like my first foray into remote work as like a 1099 like freelance contractor. Awesome. So that was how long of a time span? I was gone for about like six months. Okay. So coming from the hustle and bustle of working in a city for a tech company, an agency, what did you learn in those six months about lifestyle and how you're affected by, you know, traditional Mm -hmm. office culture? I know you were in a different country, but just being able to do your, the thing you're good at from a place you're comfortable or like from a place you're having a good time, like someplace you did not have to go to at 7 a.m. I had to leave the U.S. to realize that Americans are addicted to work. Yeah. I don't know what it is in, like, you know, the timeline of our history when, you know, like the Industrial Revolution, they introduced the 9 to 5 because they can't have people working 12 to 18 hour days. Mm -hmm. And then our parents' generation, they knew that they had the 8.30 or 9 to 5, but they had the comfort of knowing they had a pension their continuing education and ongoing training is paid for mm-hmm. but they also didn't have like the advent of the internet where they brought their work back home with them right it, not even a cell phone not even a cell phone yeah and then all of a sudden like this tech culture of like coming in as a developer and like working with your coworkers as if like your family and you're working from like the living room like back in the swimming pool like everyone's kind of like working together as mm-hmm. if like you've never left college right the whole culture of like the ping pong tables Ugh. i know foosball tables foosball tables like paying for the your dusty, lunch yeah the dusty uh video game consoles that nobody actually played with exactly <laughs> and you know all of that stuff is meant for you to stay in the office. Um, they order their food for you. They pay for your dry cleaning. And that's how it is at like the Google and Facebook campuses and stuff like that Absolutely, too, right? So you right. just are at home at work. But that only benefits people who are single and who don't have children. Right. And I'm sure you've probably come across this like when you're interviewing with other jobs. They're always looking for that cultural fit. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to hang out... Yeah. It's as if, like, you're missing out. You're not cool enough. You're not cool enough. Yeah. It's like, no, work is not my life. Correct. And I think that only became apparent in 2020 Uh when we all had to stay at home and realized what was more important. Right. It's Pandemic silver linings. And, I mean, we were talking a little bit ago about how we're kind of trying to rediscover, like, what our strengths are and what we want to dedicate our time to. Because time is, like, a resource we don't get back. So... I feel like that's another um, silver lining of 2020 that's like people had to sit back like do I actually like doing this and then we have like the great resignation going on where people are like I'd rather quit my job and spend my savings than go do a soul-sucking job 
Absolutely. I'd like to tell you, I was a trendsetter because I quit my job summer 2019. Oh, you were way ahead. <laughs> and then everybody else copied me. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. Right? Oh, gosh. And the one thing I realized, too, is I knew what I wanted mm -hmm. personally. I liked traveling slowly, mm -hmm. setting down in one place and kind of building a community around me, mm -hmm. really learning more about the people and the culture. Mm -hmm. And when you're traveling solo and you're traveling slowly, as a female too, mm -hmm. you become, you have to be braver, mm -hmm. right? You can't be stuck at home in your Airbnb or your VRBO or your like hostel. Yeah, you need to explore. Right, then you could have just sat at home. Exactly, you could have <laughs> just done this at home. Yeah. And I think the most important part of the whole remote work and like going around the world too is like I hate it when people tell me mm -hmm. about a place yeah it's like let me go there and form an opinion of myself mm -hmm. uh, by myself yeah of the people and the culture and the place there yeah instead of relying on hearsay right especially because that's all subject to like um stereotypes and biases and stuff like that like we don't all have the same experience absolutely so, I mean like us coming from other countries it's like, oh, well, <laughs> I mean, you're from the Philippines. Yes. I'm from Puerto Rico. Um, so just, I feel like we have that exposure to something else. So like, yeah, we came here and spent most of our lives in the States, but it's like, we have that knowledge of what life is like somewhere else. Absolutely. Where a lot of people just live in an American bubble and then they go somewhere else and they're like, why is this this way? Why is this not like America? And it's like, no, sit down. You're not in America. Correct. <laughs> and... That's what travel and being able to sit down and like settle down in a different place mm -hmm. it creates empathy. Mm -hmm. You empathize with the people and the place. And when you see something in the news, mm -hmm. you are affected by it because you've been there. Right. So I think that's like the great thing about this whole remote work and mm -hmm. being able to like be mobile globally is yeah. create empathy for yourself and for the people around you. Yeah, I mean, I always think of travel as education and self-development for that reason. Because it's like, it's easy to listen to like global news and then just think of like, oh yeah, it's just those people. But those are actual like living human beings, <laughs> you know, they have the same problems as you, probably more problems than you. So you go over there and you're like, okay, I have been among these people. And then, like you said, it builds empathy. You care. So I feel like that's something that everybody could benefit from. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, like, I would have started traveling sooner if I knew, like, how much I would love it. But, yeah, I know I'm really thankful um, for all the experiences I've had um, being able to travel. Because, I don't know, I feel like it really helped me grow as a person. And then tying into that, I feel like not having to do the traditional nine to five, going into an office, commuting for like two hours a day. That gave me a lot more time to like mm -hmm. be a human. That's it. Like I'm a huge fan of slow mornings, as you can see. My roommate <laughs> is as well. <laughs> we just like make coffee, like chill, read a book for a little bit, snuggle with the dogs. Absolutely. Yeah, but I always hated like, oh God, wake up, take a shower, get in the car, go to work. <laughs> And then you just sit in front of your computer screen. It's like, I'm not against going into the office. Like, Me neither. To spend time with people. I know that is valuable, but the majority of the time I was just staring at my screen. I'm like, why the f am I here? 
Like, I could just be at home right now. So, and I listen, like, all the way back to when we worked at the same company. I yes. was begging to work from home, and it was this whole ordeal. Like, we have this office. We're renovating it. So, you have to come into the office. But I was like, ugh, why? And then, you know, a couple years later, they closed that office. So, everybody Absolutely. works remote. So, I'm like, wow, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> And it's different for a lot of different people, right? So if we go outside of like, just like the remote work bubble that we're thinking about, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we're all nomads. Mm -hmm. We're all refugees. It's like, I don't want to go into like a political thing, but like borders are created mm -hmm. um, by certain entities or certain people. Mm -hmm. And what I hate about the whole, this whole thing is like the narrative of like people moving around. It's like certain classes of people, mm -hmm. like the ones who are privileged enough, have the money, etc., to go to another country, another state in the United States. Mm -hmm. And they're looked at as, oh, look, they can afford to do it versus yeah. like the ones who are what we call immigrants, but they're also looking for the same things. They're just looking for greater opportunities. Right. And it, that's just called geographic arbitrage. This is true. Yeah. And we're all just looking for the next best thing that's best for ourselves and our families and our loved ones. Right. And, and that's what I like, I'm interested in writing about right now and like why I I'm writing about rethink remote. Mm -hmm. It's finding remote jobs or remote run businesses, opportunities, business opportunities, or a different way about like being mobile mm -hmm. anywhere around the world. It doesn't have to mean like moving from the US to Europe. Mm -hmm. It could be going from like one border country to another, right. or going from one state to another, just because there are opportunities for you to like grow yeah, make more money mm -hmm. and provide more for yourself and for your family. Yeah. So, um, if someone like to someone who may be listening and is like, Oh gosh, I could never work remote. Like what are the benefits? Like you're talking about, you have time to grow. I'm talking about you have more time because yeah. you're not commuting. How do you think like it impacts your life in a good way in general? Like if you've never worked remote and you have an opportunity to like, how's it different? Well, think about if you audit, the time that you spend doing things like we were talking about like spending your mornings mm -hmm. doing what you love to do versus commuting but at the same time too we're all different in how we work mm -hmm. there are creatives like you and me who love coming together collaborating brainstorming asking hey what do you think mm -hmm. but then we need to peel away and think deeply mm -hmm. so that we can like do better work right there are people like our friends who are like travel nurses, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who are able to serve and do good, you know, by their community, but they don't necessarily have to do it within their own city. Right. Because they can do it somewhere else where they're most needed. And they're doing the same job, like, but just in a different place, different people. And making more money. Exactly. And there are people who literally just want to be at home because they don't want to be distracted by office politics, water cooler conversations. They just yeah. need that time and space to do deep work. Yeah, and what you just said reminds me of like people with certain like mental health conditions, like 
ADHD, like that's really hard for someone in like office like interruptions. Mm-hmm. You know how like they say once you get interrupted, you're like off task for 20 minutes. It takes minimum. 20 minutes to come back. Yeah. So that was something that I struggled with because I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a dick and I don't want to ignore you, <laughs> but I'm going to put my noise canceling headphones on. So if you want to talk to me, please send me a chat. And, like, to some people, it'd be like, oh, my God, what a bitch. (laughs) But I just honestly, like, no, I'm just like, I need to focus or I'm not going to get anything done. Then you're going to, like, fire me. So (laughs) it's about optimizing what makes you do your work best. Yeah. And then you can go off and do all the fun things. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're not stuck. That's what I hate. It's like company cultures back then. Mm -hmm. It's all about butts and seats. Yeah. Getting their money for the commercial real estate. That they have to, like, <laughs> yeah. justify for paying that much money for the lease. Right. Ugh. I had to say no to a job. Yeah. It was all about butts and seats. It's like, because you need a reason to micromanage me, mm-hmm. look over my shoulder. I don't do well with micromanaging. Me, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Oh, um, so how did your remote working experience... Like, Americans are addicted to this work culture. Mm-hmm. But I think the scary part about that is... The rest of the world see us as a model for, um, like, the best way to, like, succeed and persevere. No. It's hustle culture, right? And so that proliferates across, like, all these cultures all around the world. So it's easy for you as, like, a multinational corporation, let's say, like, a KPMG or a Mm -hmm. Deloitte, to go from the office in, like, New York City and, like, London Mm -hmm. or, let's say, like, um, Romania because the the internal company culture is all the same. Right. But at the same time, it kind of makes everything so similar that you're unable to, like, step outside of those walls out of that bubble yeah and realize that there are important things mm-hmm. more important things that's related to that place and time gotcha that you're in and that's what i hate too um it's kind of like a weird comparison but when i was like traveling around and i'm sure that you've seen this too going to all these coffee shops around mm-hmm. the world they all started looking the same yeah because everyone's borrowing that Ugh, the successful Starbucks, the yeah. Starbucks model. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. You know what I mean? I'm like, wait a minute. I'm in the middle of the jungle in Indonesia, but this coffee shop looks like it's something from Tokyo. <laughs> um, but maybe that's also kind of like the wrong way to think about the future. Right. That we're all, It's becoming kind of like a homogenous world that we're living in. Yeah. And maybe my mindset, I'm stuck in like this place needs to look like this because it's in this place. Right. Maybe we shouldn't be thinking about that anymore. Yeah, just expanding our horizons and that and expectations, I guess. And I think too like with re- with remote working, it gives us time to reflect. Mm-hmm. Not just drone on and going on about the same business that we've been doing day in day out. I think like that time. Yeah. To kind of s- settle down and reflect on what's good, what's bad, what's working, what's not is really important. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to make sure that everybody thinks similarly as you. Exactly. That's the thing. We should be open to like different opinions, different learning styles, working styles. And I feel like that should be the norm without judgment. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's easy to like, I don't know. You think of like the typical 
career person in movies and stuff. Like you go to, you know, get up, have your coffee, leave your breakfast on the table, <laughs> go to work, uh, work all day, come home, have dinner, take a shower, go to sleep. So you are, you are alive for this company. Mm -hmm. You're not living your life. Exactly. And they're just making money off of your back, which I get it. It's capitalism, but is that how you want to spend your life? It's like, I like to think about, I want to like print it out and put it here on my <laughs> desk. The regrets of the dying, like top regrets of the dying. Yes. Like, I wish I worked more, more. is never one. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I mean, this is probably why I'm not built for corporate America. I have never been the person to like work like, 16 hours a day mm -hmm. like unless there's like a particular event happening or like a special launch or something like that I've never been the one to stay late for no reason because I'm like there will always be more work for me Absolutely. I'm gonna do what I can today and then show up tomorrow because at the end of the day if you're a salaried employee mm -hmm. you're working for free after a certain amount of time for sure so you're not getting overtime yeah no I uh I have always valued my time probably not done the best things with my time outside of work but I was like I'm not gonna work <laughs> And I don't, I don't think that has to make me a lazy, not hardworking person. You've like, already put in the time. Yeah, I give you this. This is what we agreed upon. I give you my 100% yeah. for this period of time. And then after that, I'm out. <laughs> and I think, too, on top of that, back then, we had to wait for the opportunities to come to us. And the company has to approve it. Mm -hmm. Even like you were saying wanting to work from home even if it's just once a week and just waiting to get that green light mm -hmm. it's like soul crushing right a lot of times it's like oh this isn't part of our culture and like no we can't let you work from home because what are the others gonna think exactly so it's always like very toxic and i don't know it's like even when you got to work from home like you feel good that you didn't have to drive but it's like oh no i feel like i'm a dick i know right because <laughs> everybody else is in the office and then there's also the type of work that we're, we're talking about here is always like people who can work behind a computer, mm -hmm. like behind a desk. Mm -hmm. But there are different kinds of work opportunities too yeah. that, can afford, that can afford you to be elsewhere, have you travel, but also have you be situated in a different place. Right. Um, we were talking about like travel nurses um like speakers and stuff like that speakers those who are in the adventure travel tour guiding right. companies yeah um people who own property mm -hmm. real estate um that affords them to get like a golden visa because they can invest in a different place right or those who are entrepreneurs who have like an amazon fba business that they can do behind a computer but um, it's based somewhere else right. and they can do it from a different part of the world because someone else is fulfilling mm -hmm. all like the customer orders. Right. So I'm trying to like surface all these types of opportunities mm -hmm. for people and not just think that you need to be a social media manager, right. a graphic designer, a developer mm -hmm. who is just sitting behind a computer. Google ads manager. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what, when you Google these like kind of remote jobs all the time, mm -hmm. it's always the same 10 um, jobs that you think about or you see mm -hmm. come up. But when I actually first learned about re uh, remote working, was long before I went to um, Southeast Asia and I got that like contract job. Mm -hmm. 
I met this couple. They're both accountants and they're like only crazy busy for like a handful of months out of the year yeah. during tax season. Right. But then the other, they have the other half of the year to actually enjoy themselves. Like they work themselves to death, mm -hmm. like maybe 80, 90 hours a week for like five months. Yeah. But the rest of the time they were able to go and be based in a different country. Mm -hmm. They brought their uh, young child along with them who was enrolled in this like international school. Ugh, yeah, that has to be such an experience for Absolutely. Yeah. But they had the foresight to train their clients to like upload all their documents online right. to the cloud and they can like e-file. This is like when the IRS first introduced this yeah. to the world. So I think one thing about like working remotely is also not feeling overwhelmed by the news mm -hmm. that we're reading, that we're consuming, yeah. but reframe your mind right. of like, what does this mean for me? Uh -huh. You know, don't have a victim mindset, yeah. but it's like, think about it as like, what are the opportunities that I can do? I can still keep my full-time job, but maybe on the side, mm -hmm. I can do something because the state introduced like, this new initiative mm -hmm. or a new company is coming into town, but it's going to allow you for different types of things to happen. Yeah. So that's what, you know, as like in PR and social media, you and I have to like look at the news all the time right. and it can be really overwhelming. It's mm -hmm. like, what can I do with this? 90% mm -hmm. of it, you should just throw it, throw away. Right. In in one ear, like out the other. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to uplift yourself, your loved ones, your families, it's re really like reading between the lines and seeing, can I do something with this? Right. Uh, yeah, I feel like the root of this for me has always been people finding their identity outside of their job. Yeah. So um, just like, you know, think of when you go to networking events, so like, what do you do? Like, that's not the most interesting thing about me. Like, Amen. my job is not, no, like, I don't need a title to feel like I am, you know, worthy of friendship. And That's a very American thing. It is, yeah. If you go and live in France, for example, mm -hmm. you never talk about work, and right. your identity is not connected to work. Right. Yeah. If you talk about work, you're actually the most uninteresting person in the room. Yeah. In different cultures. Right. I mean, yeah, maybe I just, I didn't catch that American trait then. Amen. <laughs> Back to working remotely, working from home. In terms of efficiency, I mean, I'm sure it varies by like different types of people, um, different work styles and stuff like that. But do you feel like people are more efficient where when they are at home instead of in an office? It really depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Every person is different. I go by this like um, scientific term called chronotype. Mm -hmm. It's like the body's natural inclination to actually sleep at a certain time. So, you know, some of us are early birds, right? Some of us are night owls. So the chronotype, you know, in addition to regulating sleep and our wake times, it actually also influences like our appetite yeah, and our exercise regime and the core body temperature. So for some people like early birds, I'm an early bird. Mm -hmm, me too. I want to just wake up and actually start doing work. I don't even want to have coffee yet. Oh, that's not me then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to exercise just yet. 
but like I just need to put in like one or two hours yeah um kind of like crush that hardest task for the day eat the get frog it, eat the frog <laughs> yeah that's it and get it out of the way yeah and then I can start about like my slow morning hmm. but you know what I start crashing by 3 p.m yeah <laughs> yeah I, I'm just so like I'm such a non-conformist that I'm like no you know I wake up early for me like I don't wake up early to go to work like I wake up early for me and I feel like when you wake up, that's when you have the most potential energy. Mm -hmm. um, and you have like the most creativity, like you just woke up after resting. Mm -hmm. So I feel like those first hours are your best hours. So like if you said you like to knock out, you know, an hour or two of work, they're getting the best of you those two hours. Exactly. So where it's like if you have like a side gig or you're maybe like, I don't know, doing something like creative writing or something like that, you should do it right in the morning. Exactly. Because you have the best, your best self, but... And in the morning, especially if you wake up really early, 5 a.m., mm -hmm. 6 a.m., there are no emails coming in yet. Exactly. No Ugh. one's calling. It's no nice. one... Don't look at your Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> don't look at social media. Don't get on TikTok. <sighs> don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but then you just adjust and yeah. go with your body and like optimize your time yes according to like how you'll perform mm -hmm. because for me by the time like three o'clock rolls around I need to get out of the house mm -hmm. I need to go for like a quick run or I need to like see a friend yeah even if it's just like a quick like afternoon coffee or walk around the capitol mm -hmm. <laughs> building yeah or around the park and then like do some mindless work yeah late in the afternoon right for me ugh. I nap. <laughs> I try to nap. I mean, almost every day, but like I nap like one hour strictly. Um, and that, I mean, is just so good for me. And I feel like that, that's another thing that I think mm -hmm. should be normalized. <laughs> Amen. I love napping. I, I think if I take a nap, it just takes me forever to like wake up. Yeah. And I would just waste the rest of the day. But I do love a good nap. I can be an Olympic napper. <laughs> <laughs> it should be a sport. It should be a sport. Um, but yeah, I guess that just, you know, depends on your, you know, work style. So this and chronotype thing, is it kind of like circadian rhythm? I think it's a little bit different. Okay. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. <laughs> this is not, this is not a, what do you call it? Talk to your doctor first. Amen. <laughs> You're not WebMD people. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's more about like just listening to your body, knowing when your body is optimized for certain activities. Yes. And um, making sure that you know when your body is inclined to fall asleep. Yes. Okay. And respecting okay. that. Yeah, so that's what I, I think of as being human when I said I'm just letting myself be human because I refuse to work before 10 a.m. And that's just that's just how I am. So it's like I had the time to like, you know, like instead of like waking up, looking at social media, looking at my email, I can have time and be like, what do I want to do with this day? Not yes. like what's happening in the world? What do I need to respond to? What can I proactively do? So, and it's hard to do every day. Like, mm -hmm. it's definitely a practice because it's so easy to be like, oh my God, you know, give me the dopamine rush. How many notifications do I have? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I just encourage everybody listening to just, you know, even when you wake up, like, think, how am I feeling? Like, did I, did I rest well? Like, you know, what do I want to do today? Like, do I need more rest? 
I don't know. I just feel like you should be kinder to your body because it shows up for you for all of the <laughs> hustling. Grace. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, um, it's hard for me to look at a list of things to do, mm -hmm. my checklist for the day, because it's as if you're never making a dent on it. Mm -hmm. So I think I think of my day as what's the one big thing I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So during a ski season yes. and the winter is coming up. <laughs> I'm getting my skis on Saturday. Wait, oh. that's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that I want to be done with work by a certain time. Yeah. Even if I have to wake up early, but I want to hit those slopes. At Take a one time. to two weekdays off <laughs> to be on the mountain. That's yeah. my goal. And then I'll work on the weekends. Exactly. Right. Be right. Because sacrifices. I don't want... Amen. You work whenever you want. See, it's great. Have we sold everybody listening now? <laughs> everybody, quit your job. Quit I'm your just job. kidding. No, work remotely first. <laughs> um, all right, well, how about I give you a question that I ask all of my guests. Oh, my. So what does self-development mean to you? Self-development to me is growing as an individual. And taking the steps to figure out how you want to grow, whether that's something with a career, a side hustle, a personal trait that you want to improve on, mm -hmm. and just taking like small atomic um, habits right. to achieve it. Yeah. And I saw a meme somewhere, it's like an illustration of two people, the first person was like, hey, you've changed, and then the second person, with flowers growing out of the he their head, and he says, we're supposed to. Yeah. Um, I know that one. I'm a meme memeologist. <laughs> founder and president. That's such a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, such a good visual. And it's really different for everybody, right? When I first came to the Salt Lake City, mm -hmm. I was so intimidated by all of our friends who... Yeah are expert mountain bikers, yeah. skiers, It is a very hikers, outdoorsy here, very climbers. Climber, right. Jeez. But at the end of the day, if you want to get, everybody started mm -hmm. from scratch too. Right. So yeah. it's just really taking inventory of what you want to improve on. Right. I know I really don't want to be a climber, but I want to do better in, with like my breathing mm -hmm. so that I can keep up with them. Right. So it's working on my cardio. Right. And personal, um, and professionally too, it's finding out that I'm not very good with digital marketing, but mm -hmm. I know I'm a really great communicator, mm -hmm. um, creator of like message development. Right. So it's like just more of an improvement in that regard and knowing that I just know enough yeah. about digital marketing and right. how to do that but I don't want to make a career out of it. I'll stick to the communication side of things. Right, yeah. No, I feel like um, what you described is just something you need to have a lot of self-awareness for yeah. to identify, and you also need to have need to be comfortable with vulnerability because if you're trying something new, like, you're going to mess up. Yeah. Like, your first YouTube video is going to be the worst. So you just need to be okay with that because, I mean, I feel like a lot of people... You know, they're intimidated, they're embarrassed, so it's like, no, like... And the things that we always see on social media is the final product. Right. Unless the people that you follow also share about their 
triumphs and tribulations and like their failures. <laughs> You're very good at that. Oh, thanks. And we need to be okay that, it, you know, we were not an overnight sensation. Mm -hmm. This took time, energy, resources, and a lot of self-discipline to get where we are. Yeah. But it takes time. Right. And personally, I think it's a beautiful thing to share the journey. I've always just been passionate about um, sharing my journey. If I can like give you a shortcut mm -hmm. by telling you the way I did something like anytime, like I will tell you all the things. Um, mm -hmm. I was talking to my friend, Michelle, she's like, what, four years younger than me. And she was like, man, these four years you have on me in life are like super, like, I don't know, like revealing, inspiring. And I'm like, yeah, girl, like I've been there. Like <laughs> literally it's my mission to help like younger women, you know, cut through the crap and, you know, get to where they're going a lot faster. And I always say it's different for everybody. Right. I've been saying that throughout this entire podcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's just really tough to do your own self-reflection when you're bombarded by images and videos about what everybody else has already accomplished. Yeah. Um, but I think where we're lucky, Whitney, is like we have our group of friends, mm -hmm. our circle of friends, our community here who are willing to work with us mm -hmm. um, and fail with us, but also like pick us up when we're down. Yeah. Um, that's the hard part. I think I came from a place or like um, a culture, like in San Francisco, everyone's always performing yep. at the top echelon of, you know, their careers mm -hmm. or their personal, you know, their personal lives. But it's not a competition, dude. Mm -hmm. This is a marathon. Right. Life, people always say life is short. Dude, life is long. Mm -hmm. And every day, I love this quote from like my favorite cheesy movie <laughs> with Michelle Pfeiffer and Robert Redford. They say, uh, every day we have is one more than we deserve. Yeah. And we should just like be kind to ourselves, give ourselves some grace. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if you really want to develop yourself you gotta put in the work though mm -hmm. i don't want to soften this up and it doesn't end like no you can develop yourself until you die <laughs> and you should <laughs> and there's sometimes it's like fuck development man i'm tired yeah like, i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna sit here and watch reality tv i don't really do that but like some mind-numbing tv some netflix yeah yeah, yeah. so lesson of the day mm -hmm. just be kind to yourself and look outwards and onwards and work remotely <laughs> <laughs> all right Bev. so tell us about uh rethink remote whatever you have going on any where we can find you online all of the things all of the things so i've created this newsletter rethinkremote.co not.com <laughs> and i really want to help like millennial women find opportunities whether that's a remote job or a remote run business um business opportunities or whether that's like finding a second residency or mm -hmm. finding that you can have dual citizenship right. so that you can be uh, dependent uh, location-wise. And right. you can find ways to be mobile around the world. Mm -hmm. um, so find me on rethinkremote.co and also on Instagram, rethinkremote. Awesome. And I hope that I can share stories and strategies on how you can achieve that for yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you know of amazing people yeah. who've done it themselves, 
please like email me. Mm -hmm. I'm at Beverly at RethinkRemote.co. I want to learn about it because mm -hmm. there's so many unconventional ways to work remotely, yeah. to find opportunities to be elsewhere, mm -hmm. to move around within the United States or like around the world. We just don't hear about it. Right. Or like the news doesn't write about it. Yeah. We only get it from friends of friends of friends who tell us or we come across them mm -hmm. while we're traveling. Yeah. So I want to unearth those things that we don't necessarily know about. Right. And you are a wealth of knowledge in that regard. So definitely check out Beverly at Rethink Remote. Um, and thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you. Love you. <laughs> Love you back, Bev. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed that conversation and that it has given you some things to think about regarding your work situation and some of the possibilities that are out there for you. So um, as you know, I am pretty much a nonconformist. So I encourage you to challenge some of these like workplace norms that, you know, are kind of outdated. And, you know, if you work in front of a computer all day, you probably don't have to be in the office all the time and you know you'll get all that time back to yourself you will have more time to like feed into yourself feed into your family and just those things that you love i mean even the creative things that you don't get a lot of time to do because you have to commute in and out of work um but thanks again for tuning in today if you enjoyed this episode or know someone who should listen to this go ahead and hit that share button and send that to them i'd love to hear what they think you can also spread the word by screenshotting this podcast episode and posting it on your social media and tagging me well, that is all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you guys on the next episode of Develop Your Dream.